everybody, it's He Yang. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge: Rising Stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable. I'm Niu Honglin, sitting in for He Yang, joined by Josh and Ding Hong. Coming up, as the calendar pages turn, workplaces engage in the time-honored tradition of year-end work summaries, an annual dance between employees crafting self-assessments and managers delivering performance reviews. A practice that, despite its ubiquity, often leaves both parties feeling unfulfilled. Let's unravel the purpose, intricacies, and pitfalls of the performance tangle, and explore alternative approaches for a more constructive and collaborative year-end reflection. Moreover, we'll talk about seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, a type of depression that occurs during certain seasons, most often fall or winter. Let's see if Roundtable can turn your winter blue into a cozy warmth and well-being. Now on Roundtable. In the waning days of the year, professionals find themselves grappling with a similar task: the end-of-year work summary, an exercise in self-evaluation and managerial feedback. This annual performance review dance has earned a notorious reputation. But beyond the groans and eye rolls, lies an opportunity for meaningful dialogue and growth. So I want to start this with Josh. Do you need to write a year-end work report, and do you appreciate it or hate it? Well, when you say you, I assume you mean me. And yes. I, I currently don't need to write one. Ooh,、um, jealous. Yeah, that that's partly because、um, my work does not require me to write one most of the time. But it it's also because、um, up until recently, my job has been a managerial role. And so, actually, it wasn't my job to write them, but it was my job to read them. Oh, in、so、that sense, I, manager、yeah. Josh, why? Why do we have to write the report? What's the purpose? Well, I wish they didn't have to, but、um, the purpose was because basically, so I did have an end of year report, but my end of year report was basically to evaluate others and then regurgitate that information to my superior, to my boss. And that would usually be done verbally in a meeting, or maybe even with some sort of presentation or something like that, which I guess constitutes an end of year report, right,、mm -hmm. of sorts. So yeah, I did have one, but that's basically why I needed it.、Um, so it's more that the company requires it than than I actually require it. But I guess from a management perspective, I, I needed something to. Understand what everybody was doing and make a plan for the coming year. If I had no information from anybody, then it would get pretty complicated, and I would have 
these names and I would have no idea um, where they were sometimes even in the country and what they'd been doing. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that that's an issue with the company really rather than myself. I was, of course, I'm going to say that. Yeah, uh, that's really the main reason why. It's just to get an idea, a perspective on what's going on. But a lot of the stuff that was required to be written, I think, was useless, to mm. be honest. But. It's actually quite reasonable. Even I joke about, ah, I don't want to write a year-end report. Ah, it's useless. Actually, it is useful, not only to the employee themselves, but also to the manager. And um, I was wondering... If we are talking about a really good, high-quality end-of-year report, what should be on it? Well, I think uh, ultimately it is a platform for the employees or subordinates to remind their managers, their their bosses about what they have done, what they have accomplished, what they have achieved over the course of the past year, because um. It will be、uh, naive if you, as an employee, assume that your boss is aware of everything you have accomplished. What、maybe、they don't know? I maybe... think they know everything. They watch over my every step, don't they? Uh, I don't think so. No, because, no, they、uh, don't. They have too many, too many things to worry about,、yes. right? Like some of these strategic issues for their company, for their organizations, etc., etc. They don't necessarily pay attention to every detail under their leadership, right? Yeah, and so so this is one aspect, and、mm -hmm. also I think、uh, you can try to combine your your personal career development ideas with the long term, the longer term development strategy of your organization or your company. I think that's the best thing that your boss would like to see. How they can, you know. Think about the long-term development of the company under their leadership.、Uh, that will create a win-win scenario for both the company and the company's employees. Right. That is actually very interesting because, as an employee, what I think about is to put on、uh, my accomplishments. Like Dinghen has already said, what I have done for the past year, I would list certain. Facts and figures, numbers, how many shows I've done, and、um, what are some places or some business trips I went. What are some stories that I covered? And then I would put on, for example, my、um, everyday responsibility. What I do for the show. What I maybe some papers I write, and some shows that we host. And sometimes I would put on. I don't know the pictures I found, which I didn't find any pictures to be the profile picture for each episode. It's not my job, but it's the job of some of our other colleagues. So these are the daily responsibilities, and I would also put the goal of next year in my end of year work report. And I have never thought of putting the priorities of the company. Combined with what I could do in the work report. So, Josh, as a manager, from a point of view for those who are reading the report, what are some information or what are some other parts that you feel that employees should include in their end of year work report? Well, for me, as as somebody that doesn't like these end of year reports to to a, a large degree,、um, because I think that there's it's just filled with so much rubbish. I, I want it to be clear and concise. You know things like this, just more statistical information that、um, allows us to actually use that information and make plans for employees and make everybody's lives better. You know,、um, I, I, as you can probably tell, I didn't really enjoy being a manager that much. Just to include 
useful information. And useful information, as I said, there'll be things like information that will allow you to set new goals for the upcoming quarter or whatever, however the company might work, right? So we can figure out how to progress. And a lot of stuff is just not like that, right? It's just pushing the employees, which is not the employee's fault, I think, but they want to make it look as fancy as possible, right? Like they've worked really, really hard so that they can get a better bonus and things like this. But I mean, God, the, the pressure to do that is just uh, so toxic, I think. So I think that the end of year report shouldn't be necessarily deeply connected to bonuses. But then again, it's quite difficult to get an objective evaluation of each employee to give a fair evaluation on what a bonus should be, right? Um, it, it's difficult because if you don't use the end of your report, what, what do you use? Do you use your subjective judgment as a manager? Exactly. Surely that's not fair, right? Uh, because that's favoritism, right? So it's quite tricky to do so. But there are some examples of companies that have managed to you know, do something slightly different. So one example of a company that's been praised and i haven't worked for this company but i think that it's quite interesting um for its end of year work report system is uh, deloitte uh, i don't know if you've heard of this company this american mm. company yes. so in, instead of the traditional annual performance um they've actually created a system called performance snapshots so <laughs> what this does is it it's more of a real-time feedback throughout the year um rather than um past performances so this basically uh, results in increased employment engagement throughout the year. Um, now, again, um, this isn't perfect because, of course, it also means that employees arguably have to constantly be engaged with this. And I know that there's some systems that I've experienced myself where I have to be engaged with some sort of end of week performance every single week, sometimes even daily to some degree. And then it adds up at the end of the year and it's already calculated your end of year report which again is just exhausting. But I think that the way that um, Deloitte do this is possibly slightly better and will give a more accurate representation at the end of the year. Well, I understand the mentality that is if you can have instant feedback of certain mission you have accomplished, certain job you have just done, then you would know what to do next or what to improve for the next task, which can be beneficial. But even though it's painful to write end of year report or end of month report or weekly report, it's painful. I admit it. I myself hate doing it as well. Yet I have to admit as well that I see merits in end of year, at least at the end of year report, because when you um, report to your manager or when you write weekly reports or monthly reports, it's mainly focusing on this relatively short period of time that you do not have to reflect so much or try to remember so much or putting different tasks into different categories so much. But when it comes to end of year report, I feel like I would have to go through all of my monthly reports. I would have to go through what I have done for the year and then put all different tasks into different categories. And I would have a better understanding of how I spend my working hours and of different missions and different categories. And that actually helps me to know better about myself. What's your situation, Ding Hong? Do you hate it or do you also find merits in this process? No, I don't really see any merits in my personal judgment. I don't I don't really see a point of writing this kind of report. I mean, 
呃、uh, ，self reflection and self, you know, consideration, soul searching. This kind of a thing is a regular occurrence、uh, for me. I don't have to do that on on that very occasion, right? Whenever I have any idea, I can communicate directly with my、uh, immediate boss, not necessarily the. The the top leader in in our organization, but my immediate boss, for example, the producer of my show. Yeah, but I do admit that this kind of、um, managerial issue is a headache for any big organization. Whenever an organization grows and becomes a very mature organization, it have this kind of a managerial issues that in the end might become a little. Hassle for its employees that that you you need to fill in all kinds of forms. You need to write reports,、uh, handing reports on on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. I I guess ideally there needs to be a balance to be strived between maintaining your work efficiency and. Uh, making sure this flow of information between the really the front line and the man the the management right. So one thing I would very much、uh, concur with Josh is that today employees are really looking forward to a model where they can experience and solve problems real time, right? Especially for millennials and for. Uh, the younger generation, they expect really the managers to do the same when it comes to offering their feedbacks, real-time feedback, because、uh, more often than than not,、uh, if you get recognized for a project that you handled well six months ago, nine months ago, that was a long time ago.、Mm. It does not necessarily tell the manager about the current scenario of yourself, right? In that case, I think on roundtable we have two gentlemen do not like the idea of end of year review at all. And in that case, do you guys have any alternative to offer? Do you think、uh, what are some better ways? For example, do you think an end of a year heart to heart with your boss would be a better way to summarize your year, or do you believe it's just meaningless to separate or to、um, set the segments of a working time based on natural year? We do. Not have to do that. Well, I personally looked at companies that have been successful. I think that end of year reports are totally secondary to what makes employees and businesses productive. I think that it's sort of trying to fix something that's already broken. I think it needs to be started earlier. I think that a company should aim to have no end of year. Reports really. I think that it's maybe impossible to have that situation, but I think that should be the goal because why should it be necessary? Of course, information needs to be reported, and、um, meetings need to happen. But to evaluate all of the employees like this, I think that the company should work to reduce this as much as possible. And how do they do that? Well, I think by creating a less toxic work environment. Actually, there was an interesting, a pretty massive but interesting experiment that happened in the UK. Reasonably recently, which was the four-day work week, which we discussed on this show, and I'm sure you guys have heard about. You may have heard that productivity didn't go down. In some cases, it even went up. And one thing that went massively up was employee satisfaction. Now, if that's the case, then do you think that a company that would have a four-day work week would be really focused on end-of-year reports? Well, I think the end-of-year report would probably look much different, and I think that employee satisfaction should also come into this. So, I think it's more of an ongoing thing. I think what we're talking about here is, you know, something that's not that powerful,、um, and really, we should be looking at 
uh, company culture as a means to evaluate our employees and make them feel better. So really, I think、uh, a respectful two-way conversation between your boss and yourself—I mean, between the employers and the employee—is really the best scenario. It is often the first rules of. Effective performance conversation. It sounds very simple, but it is often, you know, neglected by both leaders and the subordinates.、Um, yeah, so I feel like、um, uh, in today's、uh, scenario, we really need to bid farewell to a kind of work culture where,、uh, if you want to meet your boss face to face, you need to、uh, wait for many days. You need to queue for many days in order for a meeting with your boss. That's really unhealthy, you know. Some of the really nice bosses I have personally encountered, they are nearby on daily basis.、Mm-hmm. They have、yeah. an open office. You can、yeah. get in anytime you want. Yeah, does not have to be the end of the year. Yes. And in the meantime, I have a final question. Since both of you hate end of a year work reports so much, how about just an end of a year report for yourself to talk about or to reflect on your personal growth, whether or not you have many happy moments with yourself or with your loved ones, something that you cherish? Because I know some people they would write a passage to summarize their year, or they would. Simply, maybe publish a post on social media with several pictures and a paragraph to summarize their year. It's kind of a ritual for themselves. How do you feel about those? I think that that's pretty lovely. I mean, I think it's good to document and write. I think that especially if you're writing by hand, I think that can be really great. I think that it's very healthy, for example, to write a diary and to articulate more clearly、uh, thoughts and feelings and experiences that. Sometimes can be quite a mess in your own mind. You know, you're feeling rather than articulating. But I think writing things down can be really wonderful. And I think that also expressing and practicing gratitude. It's pretty well known that that's very good for our mental health. Right? It's good for happiness to appreciate the things that you've been able to experience、um, and all of the victories that you might have had, and also all of the failures as well, and what they've meant to you. So I think that writing it down can be wonderful. Um, and I think if an end of year report can be more like that, they'd probably be much more useful. Yeah, I, I very much agree. And also adding to a, a point of my personal、uh, feeling is that、uh, you need to get yourself engaged in more this kind of interdepartmental or interorganizational. Uh, interaction、uh, or you know social activity. You represent your own department or your own organization to make a presentation, to make a lecture to a public audiences, and in order to prepare for that, you need to summarize your own working experience, your own working skill, and that's a good occasion to summarize some of your. Most recent gains and losses in workplace as well.、Mm, I think what we're against here is writing relatively meaningless end of year work report. Instead, if we can speak from the bottom of our heart, really do have a reflection of our. Days of our work, of our personal growth, of the happy and sad and meaningful moments of our lives. Then 
it is something that we would cherish. And in the meantime, I do have something I want to share with our dear listeners. That is, in the year 2023, Roundtable achieved an average monthly download and listening count of 1.5 million, ranking first among a lot of China Plus podcasts. We made waves in international markets, breaking into the podcast charts in the UK, New Zealand, Finland, and beyond. And the show secured a place among the top one. Percent of the world's 3.1 million podcasts, and to crown our achievements, Roundtable proudly received the Best Radio Podcast Award at the、um, Asia Podcast Awards. And this is Roundtable's end of year work report that I really, really, from the bottom of my heart, want to share. And hopefully, that would put a smile on your face, since you, our listeners, are the biggest and most important supporter. Of Roundtable, and you made it possible for us to achieve all these. And you're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, feeling extra depressed when it gets cold. Maybe it's more than just winter blue. Let's learn to spot and treat seasonal depression after the break. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, Neil Hulian, Josh Cotterell, and Ding Kong. While the world embraces winter's chill, a segment of the population experiences more than just a change in weather. Winter blues, or for some, even seasonal affective disorder, sad emerges, silently affecting some individuals. So, what exactly is this sad, and how can we recognize and address the shadows cast by winter on mental well-being? Yeah, so we're talking about a one particular type of depression. I think I have checked on some of the English language, you know, materials and literature. I think it is categorized as a type of depression as well. But I guess compared to general mood swings or the normal kind of depression,、uh, sad. Is more difficult to identify because it is often misunderstood as a problem that is simply created by weather changes.、Mm. So it is more likely to be neglected by either by the patients themselves or by people around them. So depression usually means sleep problems、uh, or or you know less appetite.、Uh, however, the symptoms of sad usually involves. Increased appetite and sleepiness. So, that's the opposite、uh, symptom. I think we're talking about、uh, basically two separate things here. One is winter blue. That is, for some people, they're relatively、um, more or easier to get depressed during the fall or winter time. It's not to the degree of depression, but they would feel less happy or. Less easy to be happy when it comes to these kind of period of time. And another thing is relatively more serious. That is this seasonal depression. If someone is actually diagnosed with seasonal depression,、um, it is definitely for the doctor to decide, and also they should seek professional treatment for sure. So, Josh,、um, who is more susceptible to? Sad, and are there specific life stages or circumstances that contribute to its onset? Well, apparently, 
it's more common in certain populations, which include women and young adults, um, but also those living in northern regions with shorter daylight hours, right? Which makes a lot of sense as well. And I actually come from one of those places. I come from the pretty far north of England. And so at certain times of year, there are really short daylight hours. There are certain parts of the world where they're really, really short. You know, it might be complete darkness for a long time. And um, although some of those countries uh, are actually quite prosperous countries, if you look at rates of depression and things like this during that time, they're understandably very high. So it also matters where you live. And, you know, we have these stereotypes about sunny tropical places being quite happy. Well, actually, if you look at the rates of uh, depression and sadness and things like this, mental health, again, unsurprisingly, a lot of these more tropical or warmer places with longer daylight hours, sunsets and things like this, clear skies often have higher rates of good mental health. So um, there are people that are more susceptible based on these reasons. But I think that anybody can experience it. It's really important to say that. And of course, if people may have pre-existing mental health conditions as well, this isn't really distinguished by particular gender or, or age groups, right? Necessarily, it can be hereditary, it can be based on personal experience. So I think that we've got to be quite careful to generalize about those people that might be more susceptible to it. So in that respect, it can just be based on where you're living at that time, right? Mm, totally. And in the meantime, we see that sometimes when people talk about themselves being troubled by these kind of emotion or these kind of feeling, um, people surrounding them might just say, oh, you're being a little bit sentimental or ah, it's the winter. Maybe after mm. winter time, you will get better. But what are the situation that we need to pay special attention to these people? Mm. Or maybe what are some symptoms that we should pay attention to when it's get that severe? We should advise them to actually seek professional help. Yeah, so I guess um, if you are troubled by the symptoms, you really keep observing your symptoms regarding appetite, sleep quality, your energy during the day, and your daily mood. If this kind of uh, relevant symptoms have been there, have lasted for, for example, more than two weeks, it is more likely that you have uh, a SAD. I, I think early diagnosis and treatment is really key to mm. a full recovery. I think a diagnosis of this kind of uh, mental disease may be possible after a very careful uh, mental health examination or medical history uh, examination done by a professional psychiatrist. Mm. So really, I think uh, medical because medically, less sunlight and shorter days are really thought to be highly linked to a chemical change in your brain and that may be part of the cause of uh, SAD because we're talking about a sleep-related hormone called uh, melatonin, right? I guess this kind of this kind of a hormone is something when your body naturally makes more when it's dark. It's something we as human beings need to cope with. Mm, totally. And in the meantime, all three of us on Roundtable, we are from the kind of culture that is relatively reserved, relatively restrained. We are not famous for being very expressive when it comes to our emotions and feelings. And that can sometimes contribute 
to a worsened state of mental health. So I encourage all of you listening to share your unhappiness, share your problems that's troubling you with your friends, or sometimes even write an email to Roundtable. And in the meantime, if it's wintertime, go outdoor, have some direct sunlight. Even it is actually very cold nowadays. Enjoy a little bit outdoor activity would make you physically and mentally feel better. It will help you to spend a relatively healthier winter in the end of 2023. And that brings us to the end of today's Roundtable. Thanks, Ding Heng and Josh. It's been a pleasure having you at our table. Until next time, keep the conversations going and the ideas flowing. I'm Niu Holin. Bye.